0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin.
1: And I'm Maddie Cassidy.
0: And today we are sitting down with Laura Crishfield from Lux Research in Boston. Actually, they're world- there many locations. worldwide, but headquarters are in Boston and that's where she works. And Laura came on to talk to us about some of the research that she's been doing, that she's done, and that she is in the process of doing right now. And it, a lot of it is surrounding aquaculture innovation. And feeds, uh, Mostly... Uh, aqua feeds and and fish meal fish oil replacement which is obviously a very hot topic and a very popular topic that we talk about quite a bit but um, before we get into that I want to remind everybody to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available
1: and if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also find us on Twitter at Pod. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at GlobalSeafood.org slash podcast.
0: That's right. So enjoy this conversation we had with Laura and we will talk to you at the end.
2: Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast.
0: Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood.
2: This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood.
0: All right, so we're sitting down today with Laura Krishfield from Lux Research. How's it going, Laura?
2: Good, good. Happy to be here.
0: Happy to have you here. And you're you're in Boston right now. Do you live right around Boston? Or you, do you live in Boston?
2: Yes, I'm actually um, still, I'm well, currently in my room, but I am in the Boston uh, area, in South Boston. <laughs> nice. South so Boston, not too Boston. far from us.
0: No, no, not far from Hitcher. us. I used to live in, I lived in Weymouth for a few years, which is South of Boston. Uh, And then I lived in Revere and Waltham. I've lived kind of all around that area, so I know know the area very well, but I do miss Boston sometimes.
2: I'm a a Cape Cod local, so this is the closest city to home. Oh, Oh, there you go.
0: Nice. Nice. Well, Laura is here to talk about some of the research that she does at Lux Research and specifically talking about some innovations in seafood. But before we get into that, Laura, can you give us a quick bio, kind of who you are, what you do, why you're here? Your first podcast ever. <laughs> Welcome.
2: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess to start, um, I'm a senior research associate at Lux Research. Um, we are, uh, for those unfamiliar, a research and advisory group exploring emerging technologies in, across different areas. So um, while I sit on our agri-food team, we also cover innovations within materials, energy, um, uh, mobility, uh, and, and digital solutions. So I've been with Lux for the past three years, uh, and the topics I've been primarily focused on covering have been in the animal health and nutrition space. So that's what's kind of led me to the uh, th- my journey has taken me to the aquaculture innovation sector. Um, but previously, uh, I guess my past experience before Lux, um, I graduated from Elon University in North Carolina, uh, studying environmental and ecological science, where what's funny is that I first was, you know, started studying humpback whales and monitoring salt marsh grass. Like you do. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So um, all of my past experiences before what's led me today have been in different opportunities. I've always been in marine environments, Um, but I've definitely, you know, changed uh, where I do my work, so now rather than just out in the field, I'm now <laughs> rather in the office. But, um, yeah, so my interests, I guess, have brought me to LUX and studying innovation. Um, I've always been interested in the food system and how it has a big impact on, you know, how, how it's a big impact on the environment. So how can we produce our food in a sustainable, responsibly uh, way? So yeah, that's been a bit of what's led me to the interest in the research I do now.
1: That's yeah. so funny. That's like pretty similar to how I got involved in the seafood industry. It, H- humpback whales? <laughs> no, not no. not humpback whales, but studying environmental science in college and kind of getting into the food system side of the environment, and then somehow that brought me to seafood. Really? But you don't.
0: you don't. Know, you don't just focus on aquaculture. You focus on like you said, ag- agri-foods across the board, right?
2: Yes, yes. So um, uh, when I first started, I mean, the major topic I was actually monitoring was alternatives to fish meal, um, where I was, you know, monitoring what are the future production capacities of the alternatives of insect, single cell protein, and algae. Um, But then the next year, I turned my transition over focusing on alternatives to antibiotics in livestock production. Um, Mm -hmm. So with that, looking at Uh, probiotics, prebiotics, uh, plant-based feed additives, bacteriophages, novel vaccines, Um, and then uh, so I published a report on that. And then this past year I've actually been very focused on um, controlled environment agriculture, so including you know vertical farming um, and including also aquaponics. So uh, and now I've actually started transitioning on working on a report on sustainable aquaculture, so the timing is (laughs)
0: So I'm curious, because I've talked about this before, when I went to school, I actually went to school for aquaculture. And when I started, I didn't know what aquaculture was, Mm -hmm. I just kind of went for it. it. I learned like I learned what aquaculture was in my first week of aquaculture 101. But when you came in here, and you had these projects, like, is this something that you is it like a project that you came to Lux with and said, I'd like to research this? Did they tell you that you're researching this? Or did you not really have any grasp on what aquaculture was when you came like what was your level of comfortability with that industry because I think a lot of people kind of fall into it and then learn as they go so I'm just curious
2: well I was um, I did have a fortunate uh, I guess op- a great opportunity where I studied abroad in Australia and I actually while I was abroad I was I took a course in aquaculture
0: oh, okay, so awesome. it, was,
2: it was nice because then I also had a different um, I had this a different geographic region uh, perspective on how they're producing um, uh, uh, their aquaculture industry, you know, compared to, I guess, the United States. So um, that's where, you know, I I learned the basics. Um, And then, uh, yeah, through some other classes in school. Uh, A lot of it focused on livestock production. So then when I did join LUX, um, a lot of my, you know, the academic experience with that did help translate over to learning some of these new topics. Fortunately, I was introduced with all different types of topics at first, and it just so happened that that year that I joined Lux, we saw all of this funding um, and momentum in production scaling going towards the alternatives to fish meal. And for something where I was supposed to start writing just like a short little piece, a little blurb on it, to be honest, I ended up getting a little carried away and ended up creating a report off of it. <laughs> so, um, that's a bit of where my just becoming fascinated with a certain topic kind of took off.
1: <laughs> so, what were your, the main findings of each of your, like, three primary research areas, if you don't I mean, I'm sure you could probably talk about them for hours, but the Spark Notes version.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I guess for starting with this past year for control environment agriculture, um, it's, you know, the momentum behind that has been just... It, it's, it's a soaring space of development. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen all of the investments going towards de- developing these large uh, these large systems. Um, my report mainly focused on the, what were the enabling technologies. So I was looking at uh, the developments around seeds and um, data uh, data data analytics and management um, around you know the production system. Also, automation technologies and uh, the novel lighting uh, fixtures. So, how are they able to increase crop productivity um, and be able to? Because a a huge issue when it comes to controlled environment agriculture is having profitable production, um, especially when it wants to compete with with conventional agriculture. So, you know, a lot of right. You put so
0: much money into. Mm-hmm. Replicate, replicating the environment, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, at what point does it not become fiscally manageable, right?
2: Exactly, yes. Feasible. Exactly. So, um, yeah, developers are trying to be able to, you know, increase production scale as efficiently um, as possible so that they're able to actually produce a, a crop that will be compete on cost when it comes to conventional agriculture. Um, and, yeah, what we saw... I guess the findings from that report was just that, you know, there's growth in many different opportunities, um, so players need to get involved. Uh, and then, so for my report on antibiotic alternatives, um, with that identified seven different alternatives, which they, they really did all vary, you know, with, you know, probiotics versus a vaccine. Um, but the the takeaway there was that, you know, all of these solutions, while they're not going to be there's not going to be one that's just going to completely replace antibiotics. Um, but they will all be, you know, important as a strategy to reduce the reliance on antibiotics. Um, but depending on, you know, from the perspective of the developer, which type of route you want to take when it comes to um, investing in, you know, proof of the mode of action or, um, you know, what is the timeline to get that product to market, those were you know, key considerations that we were um, trying to unravel through the report. And then um, my report for alternatives to fish meal, as I mentioned, I was focusing, so it first started looking at insect protein, um, single cell protein, and uh, algae. Um, I also did consider plant-based, but um, we were focusing uh, mainly on these, the first three. And what we had seen was that you know, insect protein was, there are so many developers in that space. It, it's a hugely, rapidly crowded growing space. Um, and however, the production scale compared to maybe single-cell protein production, um, it, it, they differed based off of the claims that developers anticipated when they would reach that commercial scale so, um, you know, it, we were pr- trying to project what would be the future um, production capacities of these different alternatives in the next five or so years. Um, and what we found was that, you know, all of these alternatives still are going to have, uh, they're all going to play a major role in future fish feed formulations. It's um, not going to be just one sole winner, I mean, they also all use different feedstocks. So, um, so there's
0: there's room in the sandbox for plenty of exactly plenty
2: of people, right? exactly and what I've heard from developers too is that you know when it comes to formulation there's the consideration behind uh, combining different alternatives so you know using single cell protein but also maybe using um rather than fish oil using algae algae oil instead so um what I've seen is that you know formulations going to be very Uh, The next kind of big, big step, I guess, when it comes to seeing what's going to happen here. Mm, That makes sense.
0: That's interesting. So I want to remind everybody that we did speak with uh, Vera Maris about the algal oil as a replacement for fish oil way back in the beginning. We actually interviewed Kareem Kermali at the Boston Seafood Show, like the day that we launched the podcast. It really
1: was the day. It really was. It was
0: one of our very first episodes. I mean, we had a few in the bank, so it's probably episode number four four or five. But that episode we can maybe link to in the show notes and that will be, um, go back and listen to that because it was a different time. It was, you know, two years ago, but I think it was, it's still a really good episode to this day. Uh, I want to remind everyone to make sure they go back and check that out. But Laura, I, I'm wondering, how do you do your research? I mean, what, what what are you doing in the research? Is it a a gathering and kind of comparison of other people's research and, and kind of a, a compilation of all literature the data that's review. come in, like a, yeah, like a literature review of data that has been done by other researchers, or are you doing some of the actual hands-on research yourself? I'm just curious kind of what your process is for, for these uh, projects that you do.
2: Mm-hmm. So less hands-on, um, but it is compilation of secondary and primary information. So um, I, yeah, I do, you know, read the the research articles and the and uh, what's going on in the news to track on trends, but also a lot of it has to do with actually interviews with the startup companies themselves and also with thought leaders in, in the particular area. Um, so a lot of my research is, I would say, primary, um, or at least that's where I get those golden those golden nuggets of information, yeah. of, you know, understanding <laughs> what are the developers doing, understanding what are the challenges there. Um, and so, yeah, it's having conversations, um, but also at the same time tracking, you know, with the secondary information of, okay, what's being published in research and um, what are also, you know, other, what are other um, uh, takes from other, um, you know, people and organizations as well.
1: That sounds so much fun. (laughs) Like just getting to talk about really interesting cutting edge things with people that are actually doing them that sounds like a lot of fun
0: i think it, yeah i think it definitely could be a lot of fun for the right type of person i'm sure the three of us would enjoy it but i'm <laughs> mm-hmm. sure there's people out there that that sounds kind of daunting to them okay so let, let, let's break it down we're gonna let, let's focus on the fish is it mainly fish oil did you do fish meal replacement
2: Research too fish fish meal. I would say is the main one that I had been focusing on. Fish meal on.
0: is the main one. Okay, mm-hmm. so so what are we looking at for fish fish meal replacement technologies that that you're kind of focusing on? Can we break so, Can we break those down?
2: Yep, as I mentioned, so the insect protein. Um, so I that don't is. Get back to that. Yeah, producing um, black soldier fly larvae, mealworm larvae, um, crickets, um, producing these at large scale, and um, you know what's great about insect protein is that. Uh, they're actually able to, you know, the feed source, or the feedstock there is using food waste, so it's actually a great opportunity for food waste valorization. Um, I mean, you know, food waste as itself is a whole, you know, huge issue, and so here's, you know, an opportunity to promote a circular economy. Um,
0: so they're using food food waste to feed the insects that they're going to harvest for yes. fish, for for insect meal okay mm. yes
2: exactly just, just to so,
0: mish- Maddie no I like to try I like to take concepts and build, like whittle them down into one <laughs> sentence if I can
2: exactly <laughs> it makes so it easier for me to
0: understand everything yeah
2: yep With their productions with their you know insect farm they gather in uh local food waste and then they feed it as the feedstock um which then they dry and grind up the insects to be a protein powder which is then you know um, delivered as the ingredient. Now, then there's the opportunity for um, single cell protein. So um, when I'm referring to this, I'm thinking. This of, I think know, I know the least about. Yeah, this is a bit more of um, the, the, the ones that I'm focusing on mainly here are um, there. It's microbial, so it's bacterial um, strains that uh, another, another type of opportunity where their feed source can actually be, you know, carbon dioxide or actually could be methane. So feeding microbes, um, you know, the waste emissions from industrial plants to produce um, uh, to produce the, the microbes in a bioreactor at large scale, which then um, the, the, the microbes themselves actually become the protein source. Um, now, there, there's also, this is very early stage development for some of these, I mean, depending on the feedstock. So um, a couple of the companies here that are really well-known players are, um like Callista is a company that's been uh, in Unibio like reaching the commercial scale, but um for you know, they're they're using a methane based feed feedstock. But then there's also developers that are using carbon dioxide um and hydrogen. And so um these players, you know, names that you'll you'll probably end up hearing are novonutrients and deep branched uh, biotechnology. Um and uh, while these companies are right now currently at the pilot scale um, uh, of product, pilot scale of development, um, it, it's just really interesting to see that these uh, protein developers have, uh, what they're able to project is that a commercial scale facility will be producing in the hundreds, thousands of tons of protein. Um, because wow. it's such a, it's so, it's rapid, it's, how do I describe this? It's a it's a scalable approach because it's um it's very rapid to produce microbes um so rather with insects having to take you know a couple weeks you have just a couple of days to produce uh for for microbes how
0: how do they do like how this is going to be me showing my my ignorance (laughs) here but like how do you capture methane or co2 from a, a another commercial production to supply it to these microbes how do you do that Cause I think methane, I think like, you know, the, the way, what everyone thinks, I think cow farts out in the field, mm-hmm. but how, like how do you actually capture that gas or that? I don't even, how does it work? Someone tell me how it works. <laughs> I don't yeah, understand. That's,
2: that's a difficult question to answer, but um, I guess uh, it, w- what's interesting is that you bring up, it's actually slightly a, even a challenge for these developers um, because uh, while, you know, carbon dioxide is so, you know, abundantly available um they actually these developers need also a hydrogen source, which it's not easy to transport um you know hydrogen, okay. so these developers actually have to co locate their production facilities with industrial emitters um which then so they're able to you know pipe the um the feedstocks to to the system um
0: that is, that is so... That- that's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that, a science fiction movie.
2: Yeah, that is exactly what. That God, that's It's wild. great because, like, I mean, the 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 phrase there is, you know, producing of like protein from the air. So,
1: yeah, literally, Jeez. that is what they're doing physically. Wow,
0: that's so cool. So, so cool.
1: then, final component would be algae, right?
2: That you yes. looked at. Um, and what's interesting with algae um, is that when we were looking at it, so you know, it was back in what two thousand. 2012, two thousand fifteen or something uh, it was a bit of an op, you know it was a bit of more of an opportunity for biofuel um, you know using algal oil as a potential alternative to biofuel um, and so it was uh, however, many of these companies we saw you know were they were a bit unsuccessful. They weren't necessarily being able to be economically viable and so many of them went um, either bankrupt or they actually transitioned to different opportunities which those um, that we saw transition to those higher value opportunities like targeting fish meal or, um, you know, sometimes cosmetics or nutraceutical products, mm-hmm. um, we see that those developers now uh, are still working on trying to overcome cost challenges. Um, a lot of it has to do with being able to optimize overall pro- product production yield and efficiency. Um, because, yeah, as as a source, that's great because again, this is you know algae uses CO two as a feed as feedstock. Um, mm-hmm. So just another opportunity to you know use carbon dioxide. It, however, right now we're, it, or I would say it's still trying to figure out some of the, um, uh, try to figure out some of the kinks around production. I guess. <laughs>
0: The logistics, yeah.
2: Yep, exactly.
0: This is so fun. What about um, soybean meal? Is that was that involved in this at all, or is that kind of a, established, so it's not really?
2: So I didn't completely look at soybean soy meal, but I do see developers um, that are pursuing that opportunity. Um, just in this, since they were necessarily, they were not as easy to measure when it comes to the future production capacity and make that projection. Um, we chose okay. not to necessarily include them in the analysis, but um, that is, however, being explored. At the same time, we also see developers um, that are even using different types of plant sources. So there's a company called um, uh, Montana... I'll have to look this one up, actually. Um, well, there's a company that's using a barley-based protein concentrate, actually. Okay. So um, Because one thing that has been found is that soy can potentially have a negative impact on the digestive ad, digestive tract of certain aquatic species for like oh, for interesting. salmon for example um, and so you know with a upset upset stomach of the fish it can lead to some of the issues when it comes to waste within the uh, within the system um, okay so yeah this developer has been identifying you know using different types of uh, plant sources
0: interesting, I always try to ask about that because something that I have a direct experience. Have I talked about my, my the work that I did in college with uh soybean? I don't think so so, so when I was in college, I did a, a fellowship with uh just a a wonderful human being named Barry Volson. I assume he's probably Dr. Barry Volson at this point, but uh, it was his grad project when i was when I was in undergrad. And he was studying, he was replacing certain percentages of fish meal with soybean meal in, different, in in diets for summer flounder. And my job was obviously to clean the tanks and feed the fish, but it was really interesting. He actually was seeing how high of a percentage you can replace that before you start to see an, a negative effect on their growth, which mm-hmm. is interesting. So can't say I remember the findings off the top of my head, but that's always something that's kind of been interesting to me when we talk about alternative stuff. We talk about soy a lot around here we do a lot of stuff with USAC we've actually done an episode with was it he from USAC, the guy we
1: no that was Dave Robb
0: right from yeah Cargill from Cargill that's right and uh he's he that if you like getting in the weeds <laughs> and some technical information that's about a, feed specifically that's also a great episode to listen to <laughs> um but yeah I just I was I was curious why that hadn't really come up but I guess yeah that makes that makes sense with um when you compare it to everything else that you've been been Mm -hmm. talking about.
1: So one of the reasons why we're interviewing you today is because you've completed your most recent research report,
2: correct? Um, I'm currently actually writing up the one for sustainable aquaculture. Um, Okay. So I am very much interested in, you know, speaking with anyone uh, in the industry of whether or not they are a technology developer or honestly anyone who's just... uh, you know, within the industry, to be honest, I I, I love getting perspectives from <laughs> anyone podcasters and everyone, and <laughs> 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 particularly yeah, so. podcasters. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm open to communicating with anybody who's uh, interested in or even has any ideas about sustainable aquaculture.
0: So you said you're working on writing it now. Where where are you at in that in that process? Are you just in the in the thick of it, just gathering data and
2: yeah, I mean, I have. So I do have my spreadsheet of developers. Um, so I have been in the works of reaching out and scheduling interviews. Um, another huge portion of my work at Lux is that we do write up company profiles, which these profiles are used by our clients to be able to, um, you know, understand a bit more about a company's technology, um, the business, what's what's their strategy and what's their targeted market. Um, so... What's great about these profiles is that they are, they, they help me be able to use as some of the, as the backbones of understanding um, these developers in a certain space. So I'm right now in that spot of, you know, profiling companies. Um, I, uh, my intentions for the report are to be looking at what are the challenges across the aquaculture supply chain and then match what types of technologies are, you know, potential opportunities to overcome those challenges. Um, and so, right now, while it's, you know, navigating, okay, what, what are also the, what's the readiness, what's the stage of technology readiness for each of those technologies, um, is is also what I'm anticipating as being a portion of the report.
0: So we're gonna make we need to make sure that we have you back on. <laughs> Once that is is published, once it's out there, because uh, I think our listeners are gonna <laughs> they're Definitely. gonna love that and and really get some in- valuable information from that. Are there any any technologies that you've kind of run across uh, as you've started doing this that have really just kind of surprised you or or blown you away that uh, that you hadn't didn't know existed?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what's very cool is computer vision systems that are able to detect fish behavior and. Uh, and they're able to detect whether or not you know they're they're covered in sea lice and be able to just understand whether or not they're they're feeding um, so it, to me it's just so interesting to think that we can have a camera be able to measure um, the behavior and uh, be able to track and identify whether or not the livestock are happy and healthy um, uh, you know it gives us the opportunity to not actually have to. I think I think it's going to have to play a major role when it comes to labor, within aquaculture, um, so and also just in the, in what
0: way in a positive way or in a negative way in your opinion, off the record, but on the record because you're
2: being recorded. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that it's well right now it it's still such an early stage of development. Um, what Very I was getting at there was that you know you're not going to need, um, someone standing there all day, every day,
0: just monitoring the Yes yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's,
2: it's just another tool to also, I think that no matter what these tools are going to need, you know, humans to help be able to sometimes translate the mm-hmm. insights, um, and can't always just rely on exactly, you know, what it's going to say, but at the same time, it's going to definitely help with decision
1: making, and I'm sure it would help with efficiencies too, because I think that from the sounds of it, it can do probably more than just the naked human eye can detect exactly. from just monitoring.
2: Yeah, so that's. Um, I mean, there's developers that are very focused on feed, since feed is such a huge cost. Always, um, yep. And you know, it it does that where it just it might not even actually be tracking the fish, whereas that, whereas it might actually just be tracking the pellets. And the movement of those and seeing um, whether or not within a system if it's how much is going to waste or how much are the fish consuming um, it's also sometimes able to measure what is the the growth um, rate of the fish, which you know th- these are important these are important things for farmers to be able to predict what what their future what the predict what their yield may look
0: like plan plan for their future crops and everything yeah exactly yeah
2: that's everything
0: so i'm curious so we we always say we talk about this all the time uh how the aquaculture industry is very open to innovation and very like accepting of new technologies and when i say accepting of new technologies i mean they're they're willing to try right they they don't they don't <laughs> kind of rest on the if it ain't broke don't fix it like if a new technology comes out they're they're ready the, the aquaculture industry tends to be very very Ready to try new technologies and and give give new innovations a shot with you doing research and being involved in across all of agri-food industries. Do you see that in other industries as well? or do you think that the aquaculture industry is a little bit more accepting and willing to try out these new innovative technologies in comparison to say, like terrestrial proteins or plant agriculture um what 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 have you noticed or did you not notice anything I don't... um
2: no that's a great question because i do think when it comes to certain i think it also depends on what is the innovation um because you know that when it comes to farmer okay, adoption yeah. that's that we identify as sometimes one of the major challenges for a particular technology area um you know it,
0: yeah oh yeah for instance
2: being able to replace antibiotics um it's not it's been a it seems like it's been a bit of an uphill battle but um you know with with changes in regulations um it's it's something where innovation is trying to play a major role there so we talked about your
1: new research project that you're working on with sustainable aquaculture, but other than that, is there anything on the horizon that you're excited about that you're like thinking about
2: learning about that you want to share with our listeners? Ooh. Um, I mean, like I said, it, it's, it's going to be those findings of the report that I'm currently working on. Um, what is it though, that I'm excited to learn about, uh, what I have planned for after, Sustainable aquaculture is actually just sustainable livestock with, with looking with the terrestrial livestock um, production. And so, I mean, what's interesting there is looking at how are we changing, you know, the diets of livestock to make them be able to emit less methane and, um, and those technologies when it comes to waste manage- management as well. That'll be interesting to
1: kind of compare with your findings from this research project with sustainable aquaculture i mean i'm sure it won't be like a perfect parallel but i'm sure there'll be interesting crossovers
0: or not that is super interesting
2: the current goal is to try to use a similar type of template of looking at you know the challenges across the supply chain and then matching the technologies that would be best suited to overcome those challenges so yeah having maybe a side-by-side comparison will be a will be a fun thing to do. <laughs> so yeah. so if
0: you're able to drive innovation in, like, say, livestock feeds that reduce the amount of, I don't I hate to use the term greenhouse gases, but, <laughs> you know, well, yes, like, exactly. to so reduce there's... the gr- greenhouse gases produced by the, this livestock, if you're able to, like, spark innovation there, are you then going to get, like, an uproar from the folks that have done all of the innovations for, like, using those gases <laughs> to grow, <laughs> to grow the, the bacteria? That's, like, it's going to be all connected. <laughs> I want to know. I, I, every every time we talk about innovations, my mind, I'm a big movie guy and my mind just goes mm-hmm. to, to sci-fi movies and I want to know how far we are from like Snowpiercer style insect meal reliance. <laughs> and, you know, when I think of like this, when you were talking about this, the um, the capturing of the gases and trying to explain that to me, all I'm thinking is the, the CO2 scrubbers from Event Horizon. So like, <laughs> I mean, how much of, how much of this reality and these innovations is actually like inspired by that kind of stuff. Do you think <laughs> just
2: inspired by the movies? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, you know, art, art, art reflects reality, reflects art, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just interesting for me because those are the two worlds that I really live in. So well, <laughs> it's not uh, really a real question, but.
2: The technology for <laughs> single cell protein was originated by NASA and being able to try to find food sources to feed astronauts when they're away. So I mean. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There you go. Like I said, not really a real question. It's just these are the things that I think of as we go through these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't judge me about the Snowpiercer thing. I know people hate that movie. <laughs> we can have a conversation about that off the air sometime if you're really interested. So, Laura, if people want to contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? If they're, if they're interested in to learn more about what Lux Research does or to contact you um, specifically to talk about some of the innovations, what what's the best way to do that?
2: Yeah, I'm um, uh, always open on LinkedIn. Um, uh, fortunately, I'm actually the only Laura Crisfield on LinkedIn. Um, oh, wow. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, nice. That's a that is, my, for that you is my fun fact. I am the only Laura Crisfield. Uh, and then um, my email is laura.crisfield at luxresearchinc.com. So happy to also email me.
0: All right. Beautiful. Very cool. We'll make sure that we put that in the show notes so people can contact you if they want to. Anything else that you want to kind of get out there while you have the platform, while you have the mic, this is uh, this is your chance.
2: I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, always open to conversations with anyone within the industry because any data points for my report are always, you know, it's always great to be able to gather as much research as I can. So
0: For sure. Maddie, you got anything else?
2: No, that's it. All right. That's all she wrote.
0: Laura, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I hope hope our listeners enjoyed this too. And uh, I hope that they do reach out to you just to help you get some more contacts. Maybe they can, you know, just do some networking. And I think there's there's really good stuff that's going to come out of everything that Lux Research is doing. And we really appreciate it. So thanks for joining us.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Folks, that was our conversation with Laura Crishfield from Lux Research. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something and we hope you will continue to enjoy and learn from our episodes in the future and if you want to do that, all you have to do is subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get all those new podcast episodes directly downloaded to your device as soon as they're available.
1: Yeah, you don't even have to think about it.
0: They're just right That's there. Right, They'll be on your phone waiting for you as soon as you wake up.
1: And if you're a subscriber already, we would love for you to leave a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. And finally, for Justin's part, please, if you're interested in keeping in touch with us, follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And if you'd like to get in touch with us about topic ideas, Idea, suggestion, guest idea. Sponsorship. Sponsorship. You <clears throat> can do that at globalseafood.org slash podcast.
0: That's right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao. I don't like it. Bye. <laughs>